Hi, folks. This week, I am so excited to be bringing you another student story. This week, we have we are talking with one of our lovely students named Brooke. Kimberly did a wonderful interview with her. I cannot wait for you to hear about Brooke's story, her journey, and what she has to share with all of the other students here at Penn State. Thank you for joining us this week on the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast. And welcome to the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast, the show to help all pre-health students on their journey to acceptance. Our goal is to share information our students need to succeed, connect them with resources, answer questions, and make the stressful process just a little easier. Our episodes will vary in length from a little over five minutes to around an hour in length. Tune into our shorts on your walk between classes, and when you have more time, you can enjoy one of our longer episodes. Hi, everyone. I'm Kimberly Johnson, your host today. I am joined by Brooke Nelson, who's one of our former students, and now she's off doing her med school thing. So we're going to learn a little more about Brooke um, and what she did to get to this point in her life and any tips she has for all of you. So, Brooke, welcome. Yes, hello. It's good to be back. Um, Do you want to just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, sort of how you got to this point in your life? Yeah. So I graduated from Penn State in 2022. So I started here in my summer session in 2018. And I am from Pittsburgh. While I was here, I studied immunology and infectious disease, and I had minors in both Spanish and global health. I was lucky enough to not have to take a gap year. So when I graduated in May of 22, I started started at VCOM in June of 22, and I just finished up my third block of medical school. Cool. And for everybody out there, when you say your third block of medical school, what does that look like structure-wise? So at my school, we are broken up not into semesters, but by blocks. So we do system-based blocks. Each of them are 11 weeks. So the first one ran from June to October, and that's foundations. So it was kind of just a review of all of the hard sciences that I did throughout my undergrad. And then starting in block two was our first systems-based block. So that was the musculoskeletal system. And this block three that I just finished was the neuro system. Excellent. Thank you for that. And can you give us a little bit of insight in how you prepared to go to medical school? I guess not prepared to go to medical school because that's sort of a thing on its own, but how did you prepare to be an applicant? Yes. So I definitely started preparing after, well, very loosely started preparing after my freshman seminar course when somebody from advising, pre-health advising had come in and talked to us just about the process. And nobody in my family is a doctor. Nobody has done this before. So this was all new and foreign to me. And when it was first presented to me as a freshman, I was definitely overwhelmed. Like, wow, there's a lot I have to do, so much I don't know. Am I really going to be able to do this? And I knew that if I wanted to do it and do it successfully, and I had the goal of not having to take a gap year, that I really needed to make sure I had everything in line and not fall behind at all. So after that meeting freshman year, I really prioritized getting shadowing and making some connections in my hometown, which actually 
I was very fortunate to have done that because COVID happened in my sophomore and junior year at Penn State. So I was able to be in that sweet spot beforehand where I could get my hours in and make those connections. And from there, I really focused on staying up with my academics, making connections with my professors, getting involved a little bit in research, but also having my extracurriculars here and just trying to diversify myself and be the best applicant that I could be when it came time. Yeah. And talk to me more about your choice in major. Yes. So I applied to Penn State as pre-health. I really didn't know what else to do. Um, And then I came here and was in the Fry lab with Dr. Nelson. And she very early on, most of us in there were pre-med majors. And she discussed how, in a way, being a pre-med major kind of pigeonholes you. And if you were to change your mind or if you were maybe to not have a successful application cycle the first time around, you are much more limited in what you can do with that time off or if you change your mind what you can do at all. So I decided to look at the different options and IID caught my mind caught my attention immediately. I also am from, I grew up on a farm. I'm from a pretty rural area in Western Pennsylvania. So the College of Agriculture attracted me as well. And just looking at the courses that IID offered, it was a really good fit for me. I'm glad that's where I ended up. Yeah. And so this is going to sound like a silly question, but since you graduated, how many people asked you what your major was? Um, In the very beginning days of med school, a little bit, but even then, so many people in my class are non-traditional students and didn't come directly from undergrad, so it really hasn't mattered. Um, the only time that I was like, wow, I'm really glad I did this was one of the most challenging courses in my first block was immunology, and it was kind of universal that everyone really struggled with it. So having a background in that and even just like knowing what those words meant uh, was a huge help to me, and then I was able to help my classmates get through that as well. That's great. Yeah. It's funny, you know, when you're in your first semester of school, of undergrad, it's always like such a huge thing. Like, what's your major going to be? Not even realizing that you're in pre-major status before you actually enter into a major for several semesters later. And it's such a big deal. And I'm always trying to emphasize, like, take your time, learn what you like to do, look Mm -hmm. at the 400 level courses and see what you're really excited about. Because I guarantee once you get to a certain point in life, no one's going to be asking you what your major is. It's going to be about what you've actually done with your time as a whole. Absolutely. The only other time that I would say I talked about it was in my interviews. It was definitely something that stood out. I think they see a lot of biology, chemistry, biochems. So seeing in immunology was definitely a talking point. And we would talk about what that was and why I chose it. And it was kind of, it helped to make the interview more of a conversation from the beginning and less of a question and answer. I can imagine that set you apart in a very nice way Mm -hmm. because you still had that really robust science background. Absolutely. With an added little twist. Yes. um, That was probably a great point of connection without sounding sort of like you're repeating the same thing that, you know, so many other people yes. have repeated from the biology major or something. Yeah, I really liked that. And being at VCOM, I was we were talking beforehand about how Blacksburg, Virginia is very similar to State College and they also have some a lot of agricultural ties within Virginia Tech. So when I was I wasn't making these decisions, but when they were pairing me with interviewers from the school side, I was oftentimes paired with somebody with a more agricultural background. And because my background, my home background is also in agriculture, that also allowed connections to be made on that front, too, which was really nice. Yeah, cool. 
And so you mentioned that you're from a small town and, you know, agriculture is sort of the big thing. Um, what drove you in the direction of medicine? So this is I never am quite sure how to answer this question because as most high schoolers are, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to come to a big school, so I was kind of school shopping before I was major shopping. I decided on Penn State, and I was in the STEM program in high school. I knew that I wanted to do something science-related. I knew that I wanted to help with people and work with people. And my mom one day just said, what if you were a pediatrician? And I was like, yeah, what if I was a pediatrician? And I'm the oldest of six siblings, so I've always taken care of my younger siblings, and it just kind of fit. And the more that I shadowed, the more that I learned about, it was everything that I wanted in a career and would allow me to do everything that I wanted to do from helping people to going abroad and helping people. Um, everyone has a need in their health, and I felt like I would be able to reach a lot of people, and I had the ability and the the support to do so. Yeah. Um, you still think you're headed towards peds? Peds is definitely up there. I kind of sit in family medicine right now. My top three are family, peds, and then OB-GYN. Cool. Yeah. Um, I want to sort of circle back around to some of the things that you mentioned about yourself earlier. And you're talking about the global health minor, right? Yes. Tell me more about that experience. And, you know, for people listening in here, maybe you can give them a bit of background about what that is. Absolutely. So as soon as I heard about the global health minor, I knew it was something I wanted to get involved in. Um, like I said, I came from a rural area, so I didn't realize how much diversity existed outside of where I was from until I got to Penn State. And once I got a taste of that, I wanted to experience so much more. So I got involved with FIMREC, which is a club here at Penn State, the Foundation for International Medical Relief of Children. And through them, I was able to travel over spring break of my freshman year to Alajuelita, Costa Rica, and work in a free medical clinic there and absolutely loved it. Um, the application process for the global health minor I learned about while on that trip, which worked very well. And then I applied through my sophomore year, and I actually, I believe I found out about acceptance into that minor just after we had gone home for COVID in March of 2020. So it had looked like from the start that I wasn't going to be able to complete the field work, which I'm hoping as of this point, Dr. Naughton has that all figured out. I'm sure they're traveling again. But the way the minor works is that you do classes here in global health. It's a BBH-based minor. And then you travel, I believe it should have been the summer before my senior year. We were set to travel to, at that point, it was Tanzania or South Africa to do global health field work for six weeks. So it was an awesome opportunity. Unfortunately, I was not able to travel because of COVID. Uh, but if you can get involved in that minor, I highly recommend it. I loved it. Such a great opportunity. Mm -hmm. I remember talking to a few of you who were suddenly having your travel abroad experiences for that minor canceled. And that yes. was really rough because that's where everything sort of comes together from the courses that you've taken mm -hmm. and, and the work that you do with Dr. Naughton. Yes. Yeah. So Spanish is the other element here that you bring to the table, right? Yes. How did that get started? I knew I really liked Spanish in high school. My senior year, we had the AP Spanish 5. I absolutely loved that. Uh, taking the AP Spanish course or the exam, I'm sorry, Penn State offers a lot of credit for that. So I did well on that exam and I knew I could walk in with those credits. So I had a foot in the door. I knew I liked Spanish. And again, with my goal of being able, hoping to help as many people as I can, knowing an additional language opens so many more doors um, and so many more 
like as I got into the global health minor, realizing those are the underserved and the underprivileged and people who often don't have a voice. So being able to represent that population was important to me. Um, and I decided I wanted to minor in Spanish as soon as I got here as a freshman. Um, and that helped me a lot. It was when I was able to travel with FIMRIC to Costa Rica, that was really nice. When I went my freshman year, I was the only person in our group who could speak Spanish. So I as a freshman who had never been abroad, ended up taking a leadership role unspoken in that on that trip just because we had to communicate somehow yeah. with those people. Um, so I really liked that. And then I was lucky enough. We were the first non-academic based group my senior year who were approved by Penn State to travel again abroad. So we traveled to Costa Rica again. I was able to return to the same place as a senior and do the same thing. So I really loved that opportunity. Yeah. That's great that you're able to return to the same spot. How mm -hmm. meaningful it was is awesome. that? It was awesome. And it, yeah, the same people were there. Um, the way framework works is with homestays. So we stayed with the homestay. I got to be with the family who I had stayed with three years prior and talked to them and they remembered me and it was awesome. And it was also very interesting seeing the transition that the free clinic that we were working in went from from pre-COVID to post-COVID. And even in that kind of third world underserved population, they switched a lot of their things to being remote or having Zoom calls or trying to limit their interactions in person with patients. It was just, I gained a lot of perspective through going pre and post-COVID. Absolutely, that's really interesting. And so you kind of gave us a heads up. So you, you, got, you got the heads up rather in Fry Lab, like, hey, if you want to go down this path, you got to hit the ground running. Mm -hmm. These are the things that have to be done. Think of ways to set yourself apart. So you, with all of that known, what do you think were some of the most impactful ways of involving yourself now that you're on the other side of it all? I would definitely say... Uh, something that also Dr. Nelson hit on with us was quality over quantity. It's always more important to be very passionate about the things you're involved in and have some depth to your involvement in that versus having so many things on your plate that you have a long list of things and not much to speak about mm -hmm. for any of them. So I definitely tried to implement that. I focused, therefore, on FIMRIC and on THON. So I was a THON committee member all four years, and I got involved with FIMRIC as a freshman. My freshman year, I was just a club member. My sophomore and junior years, I was the f fundraising chair. And then senior year, I was the president. So being able to get involved in an organization where, one, I could meet people who had similar goals and a similar pathway for me because I knew I was going to have a lot of questions going through this process. It was nice to be around people who were doing similar things. Uh, two, being involved in a group of people who had the same mindset. We all wanted to go into healthcare, yes, but also look abroad and help on an international scale and kind of the diversity of everything. I really liked that. Um, and then three, I knew that I wanted to be involved in leadership in some way. So finding a group that I felt I would be able to kind of move up within was really important to me instead of just being a member all four years. And talk to me about your leadership experience. What was that like? What did that lend to your experience and, you know, where you are now? Uh, my leadership experience was something that I definitely talked about a lot in my interviews and, again, was more conversational because when you 
talk about things that you did and things that you can kind of list in bullet point form. I think that's something that interviewers talk about a lot. So it's just kind of confirming what they already know versus when you're coming in with a leadership role, especially for me in international travel, post-COVID international travel organization, it was more questions. They didn't already know the answers to the things that I was talking about. And also being the president of an international travel organization post-COVID has had its own challenges. And the university had not yet approved travel abroad and it was looking like they weren't going to. So it really pushed me as a leader. I would say that was my, at the time, it was definitely my most challenging position. Just walking that fine line between pushing the boundary of we really want to travel and we think we can do it in a safe way, but also like maintaining respect and understanding that the university has to keep all their priorities in line and there they have to keep us safe. They don't understand the situation that we're in. They haven't been to Costa Rica before like I had previously. So it was challenging and had challenges that I did not expect, but ultimately we were successful, which was an awesome thing again for me to talk about in my interviews because it showed work ethic, ability to communicate, ability to work as a team, being able to do something that had never been done before in the organization. It was an awesome opportunity, one, for me to live and do and grow as a person through, but two, to talk about in interviews. It was a really, it looked, I think it spoke very highly of my, the things that were already written in my application. It was a living example of it. And so for everyone out there who's thinking, okay, you just mentioned all of those buzzwords, teamwork, communication, um, resiliency, persistence, all those things. Um, and pre-health advisors are always preaching these different ideas. Mm-hmm. What does that actually look like on the other side of things once you get into medical school? Why are these things important? I was wondering the same things when I was sitting on the other side of this and listening and thinking, oh, my gosh, how am I going to do this? Everyone says they do all of these things. Can I really do all of these things? It was so important to have the foundation in those things and having gotten to experience and grow as a person before getting to medical school because you hear about how much of a challenge it is and how you're so you're learning so much in such a short amount of time and all of these things. And even as a senior, before I started medical school, I was like, yes, but I know how to manage my time. I'm going to be okay. Like I've done well in my undergrad classes, which is all true. And you will manage your time and you will be okay. But it is a challenge unlike anything that you have ever faced before. Even the most intelligent people in my class, we all went through that initial struggle of holy cow, like we're really here, we're really doing it, and we really have to learn this stuff this fast. So pushing yourself as an undergrad to be the best that you can be and not really falling into that trap of senior year where you're like, well, I got in, like I want to enjoy my time, which I definitely did. I definitely did enjoy my time and soak in those last state college moments and the football games and going to the final bar crawl of the spring. I did all of those things, but not taking a backseat to the point where you become compliant with just being okay. You definitely have to keep pushing yourself, keep your brain moving, keep moving towards your goals because you have to be ready to hit the ground running when you start school. What do you think has been one of the greatest challenges for you so far since you've gotten to school? Um, At the beginning, it was definitely just realizing that I was capable of doing it. It is so much information in such a short amount of time. And different schools have different ways that they do their exams. The way that VCOM does exams, we have normally three exams a week. 
and it's normally about 500 slides worth of material per exam. So it's a lot of material and you have to learn to optimize your time and kind of study efficiently. Uh, That was a hard transition at the beginning. Not so much doing it, but being able to have the mindset of, I can do this because I had never done something that challenging. It was so new. Um, I didn't really have any, I hadn't experienced anything in the past that made me know I can do this. I had never done anything similar. So telling myself that I could do that. And after getting through the first few exams where, okay, I am doing well, what I'm doing is working and it's paying off. I just have to keep it up. I was able to switch my mentality pretty quickly, which I knew I would have to. Uh, But that was definitely the biggest challenge for me. Did you say three per week? Three per week. Yes. That's a lot. Yes. And that's our baseline. My last, my finals week, the week before this, we had seven exams in four days. Yes. So it's a lot. It's consistent. It's you just always have to be on your game. But it seems like it's one of those things once you're figuring out what works for you. Yes. Hopefully you replicate that then. Yes. And it's very doable. The other it's definitely something as you're school shopping, I guess, is the word that I'm using to keep in mind the way the exam schedule works, which is something I hadn't really considered before making my decision, because I know a few of the other schools that I interviewed with had their exams set up where there were no exams throughout the block or the semester or however that particular school was run. And then at the end of the block or the semester, you had one five hour long exam, which is more similar to how boards are, which boards, that's a whole nother beast and a whole nother thing to talk about, but a very different setup. Um, I think obviously people are successful both ways. I, even though it's very challenging, the model that VCOM has, I like it because it keeps you on your game. You don't really have time to just push something off to the back burner. You always have to be moving forward and continuing to learn those things. I also like that across, because we do system-based blocks, We are learning, uh, for example, this last block, it was neuro. So we're learning all of the things of neuro. And when we learn about pharmacology, so drugs and how they work in the brain, and then the next week we're learning about clinical medicine and how a certain pathology, which is another class, corresponds to the clinical presentation of a patient and then therefore how you'll treat them with pharmacology or OMM, OMT. All of those things building on each other helps me to make... I think longer lasting connections in my brain of instead of just seeing the small things mm-hmm. um, and stacking on top of each other and the repetition of, okay, I really know what a stroke is now because I've been tested on it so many times. I like that aspect of it. Yeah. I remember uh, working in a medical school, the dreaded neuro exam. Mm-hmm. That's the one that had everybody up falling apart. Yeah. This was definitely our most challenging block so far. And I think because neuro is so zoomed in and it's not like when you're doing MSK or the musculoskeletal system, you can see that you can touch your own, Mm -hmm. your own gastrocnemia. It's like, you know, it's there. You can see it, you know what it's doing, where it's going. But with neuro, that's all, it's so much harder to visualize, which is a different challenge, but I really liked it. It was very interesting. Great. So we've talked about some of the, so we talked about majors And we've talked about some of the extracurricular things and how that all kind of comes together to start to build that idea of who you are as an Mm -hmm. applicant, as as a future physician. I want to talk about two other elements while we're here. And one would be the numbers. 
And the other part would be just your general clinical experience before you actually applied. Absolutely. Start wherever you like. Take it take it away. So I will start with my clinical experience. Again, I know things are different now because we are in a post-COVID world. But 2018, when I started, and again, so much of this for me goes back to when an advisor came into my freshman seminar class. And I really took that seriously. And I knew that because even going back to high school, I was always on the advanced side of things, but more of a third quartile kind of person. I was never really at the very top of my class. Um, and I knew that in order to get into medical school, I needed to one, amp up my academic game and two, really build all of those soft parts of my application. So I needed to have strong letters. I needed to have strong traits that came through in my personal statement and also a lot of experiences, which is really what I did. So over the summer of my freshman year, I worked as, let me reference here because I don't want to speak incorrectly. Yes. Okay. So summer of my freshman year, I worked as a business development and lifeline services intern for the healthcare system in my area. We really have one system. So I was able to get in with them and that was ended up being more of a business kind of job than it was a clinical, which was okay. It wasn't what I was hoping for at the beginning, but I made awesome connections through it. And I did get to see the business side of healthcare, which without taking that job is something I think still to this day, I would understand much less. So there were benefits to that at the same time. So that was an unpaid intern position. I also worked as a personal caregiver for senior helpers. So that was going into the homes of elderly people who weren't yet ready or maybe their family wasn't yet ready to put them into a personal care home or an assisted living facility. So I would go in and make them dinner and make them help them take a shower, make sure they were changing their clothes before they went to bed kind of thing. So that was a very interesting, oftentimes post-hospital kind of setting and seeing um, their needs at home and how much can be done at home was really impressive to me as well. They would have a nurse that came in and I got to learn a lot about things that you can do without a physician present and also like kind of the person. I think in medicine, a lot of times something that we forget about when we're studying so much about the books and what's happening is that this person is still living a life. And for me that summer, I learned that those people, even though they had had so many strokes and their mobility was impacted and they were losing it, they weren't quite all there mentally still. It was so important to them to maintain that aspect of independence. And just remembering that they, even though there are all of these stats and all of these lab numbers on a piece of paper, they still are a person with preferences. And it's important to that we as physicians help them to live independently and meet their goals as long as they can. So that was my freshman year. After my sophomore year, I worked as... Oh, yes. How could I forget this one? After my sophomore year, I worked as an intern in an occupational medicine clinic, which prior to this, I had never heard of occupational medicine before. So if you're like me and did not know, it's basically for workers' comp claims or for blue-collar workers that are going to be doing a lot of heavy lifting. They have to do pre-employment and post-employment physicals just so their employer knows that they're fit to work. Um, They don't have any injuries that they could then go in, work one day and blame the company on a longstanding injury to their back kind of thing. So that was very interesting as well. I got to work with a 
big blue collar population that I had not been exposed to before. And also working in an office and seeing like the flow of patients in and out. Um, I did basically everything that the medical assistants there were doing, which was really nice. The people there were great to me. I got to basically do and like watch at least everything that I wanted to watch, which was super interesting. And the clinic was run by a nurse practitioner, which was another new perspective for me to gain. I had never, I wasn't familiar with what nurse practitioners could and couldn't do and the independence and the autonomy that they really have as providers was interesting. And then over my junior summer, I, or I'm sorry, the summer before my junior year, I was fully application-based. So I didn't work at all. I took my MCAT in June and then was just, I would, it was probably my hardest summer, even though I wasn't working. All of the applications that you have to write once the secondaries come back and turning them around quickly while also making sure they're high quality essays. It was a lot. Um, but so my, I'm looking at my numbers here. My healthcare experience that I listed in my application was shadowing hours. So I had both in office and OR shadowing, and that was from pre-COVID and then the hours I was able to get on my medical mission trip. And then hours as the personal caregiver, hours as an occupational medicine intern. And I was also able to do the primary care scholar program through Penn State College of Medicine. And I had 10 hours through that, which unfortunately for me, again, COVID had taken that. So we were on Zoom. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it was still something that was experience I gained. Just different perspectives, I think, even from listening to physicians and nurses and people who work in medical schools talk about medicine and the direction that it's heading, the needs that are constantly evolving was interesting for me. Um, And then my extracurriculars I had were THON and my leadership and just general membership in FEMREC. And I also had bull services listed on my application, which, like I said, I grew up on a farm, so we had animals and Something that I did, I think I started doing it when I was like 13, was we had a large Angus bull who was incredibly docile. And if you know anything about cows, you can only have one bull for so long before you have to get a different bull. And he was so nice and huge and like had perfect genes. So my dad and I decided that we would kind of move him around to other farms in the area so he could do his job there, help improve the genes that they had, uh, which ended up like kind of being a little bit lucrative for me. (laughs) And I met a lot of people through that. And that was also something that was different on my application. And the people would read it and say, I'm sorry, could you explain to me what bull services is? (laughs) He gave us something else to talk about. Uh, And then my non-healthcare employment that I had listed were, I was a TA in the Fry Lab. I was an ESL tutor for Mid-State Literacy downtown, and then my business development lifeline services intern position. So my hours definitely added up, but they were very heavy pre-COVID, less post-COVID. Um, the Everyone that I interviewed with was very impressed with the hours that I had, I think because so many people who applied in the same cycle as me did not start as early as I did and really got hit hard by COVID and not being able to get the hours in that they wanted to. I think what's also striking about the things that you just spoke about is the variety. Yes. Um, And you didn't just do things one time. It seemed like you were pretty consistent with the things you were involved with, Mm -hmm. um, but you weren't just exploring one particular facet of your interests or medicine or something like that. Yeah. Really got a great 
overview of the spectrum of experiences a person could have. Yes. And I think just as a person, I'm very curious in everything all the time. So it wasn't just checking the boxes for me. I really wanted to know what's it like pre-hospital, post-hospital. Oh, another thing that I ended up doing my summer before medical school was working as an EMT. So I did become certified. Uh, And even then seeing pre-hospital, that kind of care versus after somebody has been hospitalized for a stroke, they're not ready to go to a home and they're living in their home, that kind of post-hospital environment. Um, I wanted to experience all those things and kind of see not only where I see myself fitting as a provider in the future, but also keeping all of those things in mind when treating a patient that they have gone through all of these stages. Right. Yeah. Okay. I guess so the one remaining element here that we kind of haven't talked about, but you mentioned was preparing for MCAT and your application cycle as a whole, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's not just like a one and done, you know, one hour endeavor. A lot goes into that application. It does. Yeah. You want to fill people in on what that whole process is like? Yes. So I, knowing that I did not want to take a gap year, I started studying for my MCAT I bought all of my books and everything in December of my junior year and started studying in January of my junior year. Looking back on it, there are a lot of things I would change. Um, I did not score very well on my MCAT. I got a 502. I took it one time. And I also knew I only wanted to apply to DO schools. That had been my thought since, again, the freshman seminar talk. Um, So I was... I wasn't incredibly confident on my MCAT score, but I knew that the other aspects of my application would pull me through once I got to get an interview. As long as I was able to get to the interview, I would be able to speak on my experiences very well. And I did think that I was genuinely prepared to enter medicine. It was just the weak point of my MCAT. So my MCAT was a 502. My I have my other GPA numbers here. My cumulative GPA was a 379 and my science GPA was a 381. So my GPA numbers were, I was comfortable with those. My MCAT was definitely my weakest point. The way that I prepared, and again, I would change a lot of things about this. I started studying in January and went through the five book Kaplan set. I did a chapter a day and would read and take notes on it. I'm laughing at this now because I don't know why I thought that would have worked, but that's what I did. Read and took notes. And I did um, put in a lot of practice exams, which was nice. Towards the end, my score was not improving. I was very stressed out about it. I didn't know what to do. So I ended up purchasing UWorld, and that's definitely what helped get my score up towards the end. If I could go back and do it again, I would have started with UWorld from the beginning. Um and just consistently hit that hard supplemented with the Kaplan books, I would say, on anything I was weak on. And I think my score would have been much better if I would have done that. UWorld, if for those of you listening, if you're not familiar, is an online question bank, basically, that is a pretty hefty expense at the beginning. I think it's like $360, which gives you six months, all of the questions that you could ask for. And the great thing about them is they give very in-depth explanations as to why the correct answer is correct and why the other answers are not right. So that helps helped me realize my weak points, realize what I needed to focus more on. Um, That was definitely the best part of my MCAT study strategy, for sure. Excellent. I love to hear those those strategies because on my end of things, you know, people come to me a lot and ask about how to improve MCAT. And I'm like, 
I'm not a scientist and I've never taken MCAT. So the best I can do is refer you to all these resources and hope that one of them will work for you. But everybody's so different, right? Mm -hmm. What works for one person doesn't work for the next. But I think over time, what I've learned is that active review is far better than passive review, which is essentially what you just described. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The passive, I think for me, when I started in January, I was, I knew I had to get so much done every day. So I'd broken it down. I was doing a chapter a day and I was making myself feel content with, okay, I did my chapter. I'm doing my part when really I wasn't taking much away from reading that chapter at all. It was more checking a box and telling myself that I did it and less actually learning about whatever the chapter was about. So absolutely, I would say active versus passive. Yeah. I think that those words content review can be a little bit misleading. Mm-hmm. When people think about reviewing something, they don't think about actively learning it. And I think that maybe if we changed our language around that a little bit, it might help people start off on the right footing. Yes, I agree. I so, agree. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's helpful to know. That's really interesting. Um, and then what was the application cycle like for you? My cycle went very well. Like I said, I took, I did not work that summer. I was fully writing everything. Writing has always been a pretty strong suit of mine. So it takes me a long time to write something that I'm happy with. But once I am, I think I do a good job of portraying my strengths without sounding too braggy, which is something that I definitely struggled with at the beginning of the application season. And then once I got to the end, I was pretty comfortable with making sure that things were coming across strong and not like I was speaking too highly of myself. Uh, That's definitely a hard thing to get into the mindset of doing at the beginning. But, oh, another thing, we can talk about this after, that I would change about my application cycle was just the, I didn't realize how primaries worked at the beginning. So I applied to, I think, 21, 21 different primary applications I submitted. So that's paying for 21 things, which I did not need to do. Um, even like VCOM is an example. They have four campuses. I paid to send my application to all four. You only have to pay to send your application to one of them in order to be considered by all four, something I did not know. So definitely look into that as you're starting to apply. But so I am not even going to include my primaries because I didn't end up writing secondaries for all of them. I was so rushed because I pushed my MCAT back to June. I knew I wanted to be at the beginning of the cycle. So when I did my primaries, I was like, boom, 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 everyone, 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 which if I could go back, I would definitely change. But I ended up doing 10 secondaries. I got seven interview invites. I accepted four of them and all four that I accepted, I was accepted at. So the four that I interviewed with, I was accepted at those schools. Those were VCOM, KICOM, BCOM, and LECOM. Wow. That was a great cycle. It was. I was really happy with how my cycle turned out. And you went all DO schools, right? All DO. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about the decision to go DO versus MD? Yes. So growing it, I would say it goes a lot to my family life and growing up. My uncle was a chiropractor. So for, and I, like I said, I have six younger siblings. So my parents were running around like chickens with their head cut off, taking care of all of these kids. And unless we were incredibly sick or had an obvious broken bone, we would go see my uncle first and see what he could do as a chiropractor, which as a kid kind of frustrated me. I didn't understand. He wasn't a doctor to me and I didn't know what he could do to make us feel better. It was just kind of a step in the way before we would go see the doctor. Uh, but looking back, he actually made a big difference. He might 
brothers who were involved in athletics year round. He would help with their tweaks and everything that was going wrong with them. Um, but because we had him in our lives growing up, we were definitely more on the holistic side. We didn't medicate for anything that really didn't absolutely need to be medicated for. So when a DO came in and spoke in, again, my freshman seminar class, it all comes back to that, um, and talked about just the difference of a DO philosophy of treating the whole person, taking into account the things that are happening in their life outside of their body and how those factors can be playing a role in whatever's going on. Um, I also really loved the idea of OMT, osteopathic manipulative therapy, or OMM, osteopathic manipulative medicine, to help treat people as a measure before going to medication. Um, my family has also dealt with some addiction, and I've seen how addiction can impact families and people and that just terrible cycle. So as a physician, if I can have one more level of care between giving my patient a drug and just trying OMM, even if it doesn't work, having that option of trying it before giving them a drug, I love the idea of being able to do that. So I was pulled towards being a DO for all of those reasons from the beginning. Basically, all of the high points of this is what a DO does are things that I wanted to do before I even knew it was an option. So it lined up with everything that I wanted. Nice. Yeah. So out of all of these siblings, is there anybody else doing medicine or healthcare of any sort? Yes. My brother, who is below me, he's a junior here right now. He will be applying in this upcoming application cycle. Exciting. Mm -hmm. Is he going to come in and do a comprehensive interview? He will be. Okay, good. Absolutely. That's great. We love having those opportunities to do deep dives Mm -hmm. and just make sure that you understand all the different steps of the application cycle so that, you know, like you said, you don't accidentally apply, you know, to all of those schools at once when you could have just gotten verified or spend all that money, whatever it is. Um, And actually, you know, I think this is great advice for others to hear that you did, you applied to 21 primaries, but you Mm -hmm. did 10 secondaries. Yes. And we see that a lot, even knowing that information from us, still having that really big school list. And then when it actually comes down to secondaries, and let's just talk about how realistic it is to write 21 secondary essays. I think if I wanted to, if I felt, if I truly felt connected to 21 schools, it would have been possible for me to write 21 secondaries. They would not have been of the quality or the caliber that I felt the 10 that I submitted were. And I think, especially for somebody like me, where I knew I had a weak MCAT, I needed my writings to be as strong as they could. So once I was able to take that breath after submitting my primaries and being like, okay, it's done, and really look at the schools, and as you guys advise to spend that time after you send the primaries looking at the schools that you're expecting to get secondary invites for, looking at their goals and their mission statements and seeing what aligns with your goals. Um, That's something I wish I had done prior to doing my primaries because very quickly looking at some of the mission statements for schools, it wasn't that they were bad. They were just not aligned with mine at all. And again, if I for some reason needed to write something that was in line with them, I could have, but it would not have sounded as good. And I knew it was a school that I ultimately would not have wanted to go to if I had an option for somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So I really spent the time. It did. It took me all summer. (laughs) So many of my days writing those secondaries, but I spent a lot of time 
excuse me, looking into the mission statement, looking into where students that go to those schools place into for residency um, and what that school values, the kind of curriculum that they try to have. Um, international travel and international service was something that was important to me as well. So that was another thing I was looking at. And a lot of the schools did not have that. Again, this was freshly post-COVID, so that could be different now. Um, but VCOM was my number one school after I wrote all of my secondaries. And it was crazy for me reading their mission statement. It was, I can't do it verbatim right now, but I know it starts with preparing globally minded, community focused physicians to serve. And then it's something along the lines of underserved areas. And I was like, wow, that's everything that I want to do in words that I'd never thought of before. Like I knew that's what I wanted. Um, so writing their essays was so easy for me. It came so easily because I didn't have to pretend like I wanted to do something. I didn't. And I think my passion for their program and all of the things that they were passionate about came through in my essays for sure. I love that. That's great. It really does pay off to put in the time. Absolutely. To look into your schools in great detail. But not just to look into schools in great detail, to really understand your own mission well enough mm-hmm. that you can recognize when it's such a great fit, right? Yes, for You sure. haven't done the thinking ahead of time to identify what your own mission is, then you're, that's not going to jump out at you in the same way. Yeah. And for me, I think I was... The word that's coming to my mind is tasting. Through my four years of undergrad, I was doing so many different things and kind of getting a taste and a feel for what I wanted to do and the kind of physician I wanted to be. And then when I sat down to write my personal statement, it really, I think as I was writing it, I realized, okay, these are things that are consistent. I'm having these feelings consistently across all of the areas of medicine I'm looking at. And that cemented for me what I wanted to do, which allowed me to portray that in my secondaries and in my personal statement as well. Talk to me a little bit about, so what were you seeing consistently? I just, after everyone's heard all the different things you were involved in and and where you've ended up going to school, I want them to be able to sort of see the complete picture. So what are you striving towards in the future? Right now, I would say my, my goal, what I would like to do is work in an underserved community as a primary care physician who can do everything possible to treat patients, keeping in mind the barriers that stand between them and good health and good care. So that is so many different things, but the things that I think of are education and prevention, which is, again, a big thing in the osteopathic world, and we talk about a lot at my DO school. just having people understand why things are happening and what they can do to prevent it. Um, Another big thing for me about primary care is just having those longitudinal relationships. So something that I like about family medicine is that if I'm taking care of you and then you have a baby and I'm taking care of your baby, and then as your baby becomes an adult and starts having their own children that I'm taking care, it's like a generational thing. I think that helps to build physician-patient trust and compliance is higher. All like, I think there are so many benefits from having relationships like that. Um, Also being in an underserved community, I think the relationship between patient and provider can be so much deeper and you can provide them with so much more than just the medicine that they need, whether that's support for 
an emotional problem that they're dealing with or a family situation or being a friend and kind of an outs an unspoken leader in the community and helping to build up the community as a whole outside of and within health and medicine, which it's a lot to say. And it's a lot, a big goal. Um, hopefully it's something that I'll be able to make obtainable. I think my Spanish also plays a big role in that and helping to lessen even just one of those barriers being a language barrier, helping to get rid of that. Um, the way that insurance works is also a whole other barrier and just education and prevention and how we can kind of kill one beast at a time as we work towards that. Um, so that would be like my perfect practice. Another thing that I know I definitely want to do, though, is continue working internationally and abroad and doing small but sustainable things over time that can hopefully make a difference there as well. Do you see yourself going back to a more rural agricultural based community? I do. Yeah. I can see Spanish actually having a really big use mm -hmm. in a more agricultural community as well. Yes, especially the more south mm -hmm. that you get. Where I am, there are not a lot of Spanish mm -hmm. speakers. Uh, but even in Blacksburg, I there's a lot more. Um, and exactly in Blacksburg, if you're – Blacksburg, like I said, is very similar to State College, a college town. If you drive 30 minutes outside of Blacksburg in any direction, you hit a medically underserved area where – with a lot of Spanish speakers, actually, who – don't know what's wrong. They don't know how to communicate what they think may be wrong. Or once you then tell them, they don't know what to do to make themselves feel better and make themselves then stay better. So kind of hitting all of those things. Um, I think Spanish will help me do that as well. So a few questions before you wrap up, like three more questions. Um, tell me what has been most enjoyable or fun or rewarding or however you want to put it positive about going to medical school so far. Okay. And then we'll wrap it up with some words of advice that you have. Okay. So I think my, f there are so many things that I love about medical school. And yes, it has been the largest challenge that I've faced so far, but it has put me in a situation to grow as a person, which I always appreciate even when it's hard. Um, I've also really liked, so I came from southwestern Pennsylvania to Penn State with a lot of people from high school. I had a lot of friends already here when I came, but going to medical school, I was like plucked out from my little circle of comfort and dropped into farthest from home that I'd ever been and with nobody that I knew. So having to make new friendships and connections has was a challenge for me initially, um, but the relationships that you form there are so deep because you're all going through something so new and so challenging and you have to form those connections and rely on each other. So the friendships that I've formed there, I very much value. Um, the people in my class are amazing. We all support each other very well. I know some medical schools are set up in a more competitive way where you're kind of competing against each other to get to the top and have those best grades. VCOM is not like that. So it's there's 178 of us in our class, and everyone is incredibly supportive. We share resources. We share study strategies, ideas. I have a study room here if anyone wants to come kind of thing. Um, so the people have been amazing for me. I love that. On the more medical side, 
just learning things that, because, you know, I'm 23, so I have a large family who have had different medical ailments over the years. And, like, I've always heard, my grandma had a stroke. Like, okay, grandmas have strokes. But now learning what was happening as she was having that stroke and what happened in her brain, I can visualize it. And when I'm in the cadaver lab, I'm looking at the problem area and what happened and just kind of making those full circle connections of how the injury or the ailment happened, what happened, and how they can prevent it going forward. It's so interesting to me. And every single thing that I learned in medicine, I study in the library a lot. And so often I'll go, oh, or ah, (laughs) just realizing things that we talk about so much, but we don't realize the breadth and the depth behind them. I, I just love learning about it. That's wild. That's great. Um, And that, I think, is so incredibly encouraging that all of the work that you put in to all of these different pieces that got you to this point in life, it's worth it because it Mm -hmm. all starts coming together as a whole instead of feeling like these scattered little pieces. Yes, it absolutely does. So, words of wisdom. Words of wisdom. I'm looking at some that I had presented to a group previously. Uh, My Penn State advice that I had written was definitely focus on quality over quantity with your activities. Surround yourself with people who they don't have to have the same goal as you, but are all trying to grow as people want to make it in the professional world and definitely working to find that balance between working hard and also having fun at your four years of state college. You're only here once. It will never be the same again. So find the balance between working hard and enjoying yourself. Um, Another thing that I had written down was don't get stuck in a fixed mindset. Like I talked about with my biggest struggle starting medical school, just realizing that you are capable of doing it and you are capable of doing new things, stepping outside of your comfort zone and trying them. While I was at Penn State, I think the things that I benefited from the most were always the things I was most scared to do at the beginning. And once I pushed myself out of my comfort zone to try it, I was so thankful and glad that I did. And like I said, those things benefited me the most. So always pushing yourself, never being comfortable with compliance. Um, For application advice, I have the things that I'm sure you've already heard. Ask your letter writers early. Give yourself time to edit all of your writings until you're happy. Have multiple people read over everything you submit. But a caveat that I found with this one was don't ask everyone you know to read them because people have different opinions different advice and when you start hearing too many voices you'll get overwhelmed you'll start questioning yourself on the things you already wrote i kind of narrowed it down to three people who i would have read everything um take their feedback but don't forget like this is your application you have to be happy with what you're submitting and ultimately it's your opinion that matters so it's okay to disagree with the people that you're having read your things Um, But other eyes are definitely helpful. And then the last thing on my list was don't apply to places randomly. Definitely take the time, look into the schools and the programs that you're interested in. And even if you feel like you're losing a couple days of MCAT studying or a couple days that you could be spent editing your personal statement that you're spent just clicking through the websites, it will come across so much better. Your passion and your drive and how you will be an asset to a certain program if you actually align with the things that they 
are looking for in their candidates. I love that. That's fantastic. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate hearing all of your perspectives and also your enthusiasm for what you're doing right now. That's so encouraging. Thank you. And I will leave my business card in the office. So if anyone wants to stop in and grab that, feel free to email me. Any questions? Thank you. Love to have that on hand. The Penn State Pre-Health Podcast is a production of the Pre-Health Advising Office and the Eberly College of Science at Penn State University. It is produced, edited, and promoted by the Pre-Health Advising Team. The views, opinions, and advice shared during this podcast are that of the hosts and any guests only and do not necessarily reflect the best advice for every student at every institution for every health profession. This is a nonprofit podcast made for the purpose of better serving pre health students across the university system.